Well, I think I'm in a little bit of a conundrum right now. <laughs> and I think, I think that's one of the dilemmas as a, I'm going to say, as someone whose Bible has just come alive and just connecting dots. And I mean, for someone who spent, I'm going to say, the majority of his childhood learning the New Testament, right? And, and, and learning about Jesus and spending very little time in the Old Testament, right? And, and me as a Christian child, thinking I had a pretty good handle on Jesus and the stories of Jesus and, and the start of the church, and I know who the Apostle Paul is, and as you hit a teenage years, they throw you, you know, into First Timothy or what have you there, and they have you study that through, and that's great. But for me, I'm recognizing that a lot of my foundations for the gospel, guess what? We're missing absent and as we continue to set our eyes on the book of acts a lot of acts won't make sense if we don't work through the foundations of it right so i i was prepared to to step into acts but i do think that we need to read a little bit more in ezekiel just to quiet ourselves to to what they saw was coming right and and what what in the Jewish mindset this new covenant was going to be like, what this kingdom was going to be like. And I promise you if, if you, if you quiet yourself with these texts, when you read your New Testament from now on, you're going to be like, whoa. <laughs> like, like, hold on a second, there's more, more here in the amount of, of people that I come in contact with, rub shoulders with, if they stick with me long enough, it's like they have to start reading their Bible all over again. And you see them begin to grasp, you know, God's plan for man's place and his presence. They begin to grasp that, that, that God is ruling, Christ is ruling, and we're called to be ruling for Christ right now. But if we don't have those foundations, guess what? We are a weak, frail, and in many cases, pathetic. Um, and I'm trying to say that nicely, Church of Christ, Christian homes, right, and, 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 and Christians themselves if we don't have those foundations. And so I, I do, sometimes I call it slugging. We have to do the slugging before the, the connections are made. But at the same time, I find it fascinating, and, and I trust that you will as well. So let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. And I'll, I'll pray after we found this book that we're in all the time. And I want us this morning to be thinking, and, and I, will, I will pray, but uh, I want us to be thinking about the big picture. All right, we get so focused on, on a verse. We get so focused on, on a word, sometimes a vibe, uh, that we don't see the big picture. And the big picture of Scripture is God's picture. And, and it's, it's neat to consider, a little alarming to consider, that, that every Jew of the New Testament that recognized Christ as the Savior, they had that grounding in the Old Testament. They had the understanding that, that Ezekiel did in Scripture. 
right, of Isaiah. I mean, those are the first things that they turned to. That is a solid foundation. And we'll see why. We'll see with anticipation. So, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray in the, the moments ahead that we have, Lord, as we read, Lord, I pray that we would recognize that this is you speaking. Lord, these, these truths have been preserved through thousands of years so that we can discover you, so we can establish our faith securely on your promises. And Lord, ultimately, it's, it's to represent and prepare ourselves for your coming. And we all recognize in this room this morning that we live in a world that has no desire for anything to do with you. Lord, we recognize this morning that in many cases it's pulling our families with it. It's pulling churches with it. It's pulling ministries with it. And Lord, I pray that whether we want to call it slugging or studying or seeking or whatever it is, Lord, I pray as we read these words we would see you. And Lord, just the the application would grow from your spirit revealing yourself to us. We thank you for your son who died on the cross. We thank you for your spirit whom you sent. And we thank you for the spirit. And as the Bible teaches, when we place our faith in you, we receive you. We ask for that illuminating this morning. And I pray these things in your name. Okay, well, Ezekiel chapter 36, we, we opened up in chapter 1, and even in the darkest depths of captivity, and I mean, I don't think it's ever easy to be a slave in a foreign country, there was a glimpse, there was a promise of hope. In the Bible scriptures, every time there's judgment or discipline or chastisement, there's always that hope, there's always that promise given. And, and as, as the people were in captivity, God was saying, look, that promised kingdom, that promised king is still coming. There's still a restoration, right? There's still a restoration coming. And that's such an important thing even for us. I mean, we've gone through two years of ups and downs and what have you, but when I turn the news on, I can't exactly say I'm blessed. <laughs> You see what's going on in the world. I mean, we've got wars, economic crisis, health crisis. I mean, the whole nine yards. But the deeper I get in my scriptures, the more I understand that promised hope, that plan, predestinated plan, cannot be thwarted in any way. Global warming can't even do that, Lawrence. <laughs> it can't remove the coming kingdom. Uh, I don't believe in global warming. We'll just get that up there. Um, but anyway, so we have it here in, in Ezekiel chapter 36. They're in captivity. Okay, and beginning in verse 16, my title here helps me out. It says the renewal of Israel. So I mean, it, it, there, there's so much going on and it, it's hard to just even step in. I mean, only 42,000 returned out of captivity, right? With Zerubbabel, the first wave. I mean, out of all the hundreds of thousands of people that went into slavery, a lot of them did not want to leave, right? They had absorbed into the world. So even as Ezekiel's writing here, he's seeing this, right? He's seeing the spiritual decay. He's seeing the vacancy from, from coming before God in obedience, but there's still a promised hope. And verse 16 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man... 
when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, right, when things were going good, right, when they had their temple, when everything was going easy, when they dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their ways was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. All right, whenever, and I'll say this term, whenever God's people decide to do things on their own, they set the word of God, set his instructions aside, and you know what? This is, this is what we think. This is what we want it to look like. You know, this is, this is what appeals to us. Now, we, we say that, oh, that's bad, that's bad, but it creeps into our lives whether we like it or not, right? And it leads our families away, leads churches away. And I don't think I need to go into describing any more of that picture on how God sees that. So what does God do in verse 18? Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood that they had shed on the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. God's people were in the place where they were joining in and killing babies to Molech. Very similar to how some Christians endorse abortion, euthanasia. Right? The shedding of blood. How does that happen? You want to call it liberalism or whatever. It's called they close the Bibles, or, or maybe it's just ignorance. But they've rejected what God says. They don't know God. They may say they believe in Jesus, but they don't know this Jesus. And that's where ignorance will take you. So what does God do? So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. I was outlining a sermon, and if I was to park here, I'd probably wave my hands around and say, you know, does God judge us? Is there consequences for sin? Is there, is there generational? Like, do my kid, are my kids affected by the things that I, I teach them or don't teach them? The things that I do or don't do? And certainly, it doesn't take long to change a culture, does it? Right? And who does the judging here? God, Right? I judge them. God dealt with them. Right, I wonder what the synagogues look like. <laughs> I, I mean, the temple's destroyed. Your place of worship's destroyed. They don't have nothing, no place to meet. At one point, it was even illegal with that when you start studying through the history. That's like you're done. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. Hmm. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. God's people were no longer even concerned about representing God in holiness. I almost picture God's people being a sponge. Where do you want me to fit in? <laughs> What do you want me to look like, right? Just, just sucking it in. You can't tell the difference anymore. Profaning God's name, and God doesn't tolerate that. Verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake 
O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. I mean, God's not even doing this for their benefit here. He's saying, I'm removing you so you no longer tarnish, blaspheme, present me as something that I'm not. God's doing that for himself. Sometimes I wonder if absence, and you see ministries failing, and you see leaders falling, could that be God dealing, protecting, and cleansing things that are his? God doesn't want us to go halfway. God doesn't want us to blend. And so much of what we've been seeing in the last, say, 30, 40, 50 years, all the new, the cutting edge, the programs, all this different stuff, I wonder how much of God's name is actually on that. It's enough to quiet yourself with. Verse 23 says, And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Right? The idea of when you are broken enough, I was having a conversation with a gentleman last night, when you are broken enough to hallow, to have that reverence, you know, that's coming from an alcoholic, a drug addict. Are you broken enough? That's when you're ready to surrender fully to Christ, when you're hallowed. And I think we could think through a number of people that we've been pleading with and questioning as they're living in disobedience and blatant sin, right? No, they're, they're fine the way they are. They're fine blending these things, but there will come a place where they need to be broken enough to be hallowed. And there'll be a testimony for that. Verse 24, For I will take you from among the nations. And this is an important principle for, for those who, I'm going to say, study the Scriptures and are looking for that big picture. Because God is going to deal with them, break them. And this is Israel. The context here is Israel, right? We understand there's principles for us here. But he's going to break them. He's going to scatter them. He, he's, he's been judging them. But then he's going to gather them. Right? And there's a gathering. And I'm even going to say that there's a drawing. The Father is going to draw them. Okay, let's read it. For I will take you from among the nations, gather, just underline that if you have something to write with, gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own lands. John 6.44 talks about that, doesn't it? The, the idea of, of no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them, gathers them. Right? The Calvinists take a hold of this like crazy and say it's an election thing. God, 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 God pulls you, drags you into that. No, no, this is, a, this is a promise of God to Israel that you've been judged, and then we're all the way back back here. You've been judged. You've been scattered. God is breaking you, and, and there, God still waits for that generation that responds to Him. But in and through that, He's going to gather. He's going to draw as that time comes for the, the coming King. He says, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own 
land. I mean, that's, that's taking place there at the end of the tribulation. There's so much to consider here. Verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I think if I was to look for a definition of grace, it would begin in, in, in this root. I mean, sin, brokenness, rejection, all that. I mean, I mean the idea of, of are you broken enough, and yet God is giving them this promise. Hope, what we don't deserve, right? What Israel doesn't deserve, He's going to clean them up. He's going to clean His nation up. He's going to, it says, give them a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I've shared before that these verses have very significant taken out of context when I was in the program, but I was so far in sin and so broken that that was exactly what I needed. I was just sick of life. I needed that. And, and Israel will be in that place where God will give them a new heart and put a new spirit within you. He says, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. Because when you're living in sin, you can get that place where you no longer care about anything. Right? Your heart is just, I mean, it's there. You could be healthy as a horse, but you are so spiritually and emotionally hard to anything. And God says, I'm going to take that out, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh that beats Right? That, that has, that, that knows the compassion, can feel again. Can you imagine what that would do to a nation? Well, of course, because this is, this is looking to, to Christ's coming as the king and in what it's going to be like to live in his presence and live in harmony where people are spiritually alive and wanting to walk in obedience. Verse 27 is very significant. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. What's going to lead them? Yep, the Spirit. So even as we approach the, the book of Acts at Pentecost where the Spirit comes, right? we see, we see these aspects of the kingdom that's coming, and, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more, but he's going to pour out his Spirit's Right, and they're going to have the Spirit of God through the Word of God to lead them. Spirit of God through the Word of God. And that's, that's what directs, that's what guides. And when Christ is sitting on the throne, it's going to be the Spirit of God through the Word of God. It's going to be an amazing thing to, to witness from our end. <laughs> from our end. But this is all part of God's plan. As dark as the people are in their history here, Right? Even, even as we, we, we trace it through there, they have this promised hope. Pentecost, as, as Peter and, and, and the men in that room there received the Spirit, they're, they're seeing Ezekiel 36 being played out. They're grasping this. Okay, even now will you restore the kingdom to Israel, Lord? Right? I mean, that's, that's what the question was. They were going back to these texts. Verse 28, then you shall dwell in the land. What land? 
Israel, right? This is the promised Messianic kingdom that we know lasts for that thousand years. These shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your, your God. That's why we emphasize Israel. I don't read about Canada, <laughs> right? We don't read about the states, and I, I don't know that full picture of what that looks like. But God's chosen nation for that Messianic kingdom is Israel. We know nations come up. We know that Christ is ruling over the world. But His chosen nation is Israel. Verse 29, I will deliver you from your uncleanness. Can countries get dirty? Oh, I mean, we'd have to go back to verse 17 about the, the uncleanness of a woman's in her time of impurity. I mean, that's, he, they're going to be delivered from that. Right? There's going to be a, a renewing there. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. What are we talking about here? These are aspects of that messianic kingdom where the Messiah king, where my throne, my, where the king is seated on his earthly throne. Right? And he's ruling. There's that harmony. Creation is being restored to harmony. You can't have somebody say, well, well, well I don't believe because we don't know what that's going to look like. Or she's like, what, what's, what's, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Well, yeah, that's just a stopping point. Right? We've been given specific things. We know what this kingdom is going to look like. He says, verse 30, I will multiply the fruit of your trees and increase of your fields so that you need never again to bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Right? Israel will be, <laughs> I want to say living high on the hog, right? If they're in obedience, right? If you read Zechariah 14, if you're taking notes, it mentions the other side of this. If nations don't come up and worship the king, what does he do? He stops the rain, and there's famine on those nations. That's how Christ rules. Right? It is not optional to come up and worship Christ in the kingdom. I'm going to flip that for an application. Is it optional for us today to worship? I mean, you have a choice, but it's not much of a choice. We will all stand before Christ at the judgment seat and answer for our decisions as His subjects. Right? For us as New Testament believers, we are to be ruling and having dominion as Christ leads us. And if we choose not to do that, that includes absence from the body of Christ. That includes not serving. That includes our, our spiritual disciplines of, of broken intimacy. If you're not praying, if you're not reading the Word, if, if you're just living your casual Christian whatever it is, We'll answer for that one day before, before the king. There's an accountability, accountability for that. But the end of verse 30, there, there's, no, there's no famine in the kingdom. Verse 31 kind of presents that accountability even for the nation of Israel, doesn't it? It says, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. Even in the midst of that harmony, blessing, with Christ the King seated on the throne, and I would love to think that, you know, all of history, all of Israel's history would just be wiped away, and everything would be so focused on Christ, 
But it doesn't say that, does it, for this nation of Israel that comes in the kingdom? When they're in that good and they're recognizing Christ, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. It's about the time where, you ever been in that place where you think you've gotten right with God? And then all of a sudden God gets a hold of you and then you get really, really right with God? Like, I mean, there's like another level there where it's like, okay, now, you know, just everything's been exposed now, right? That's what I, I see here. Like, I mean, there's, there's, we're on our knees, we're worshiping, and then all of a sudden there's that next level for them. God says, not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. If you're, if you're taking notes, this is where your, your Zechariah 12 comes in about mourning for the one they pierced. This is where that great awakening comes. There, just before his, his second coming, there's a, there's a churning as people are awakening to he is the Christ, he is the king. And then you see all the, the tribulation events and the stars and the things, the heavenlies. You see these things coming about and they're on their knees broken. Verse 33 Thus says the Lord God. On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. God's grace is there. God's hope is there. Again, eschatology, and, and I, don't, I don't have all the, say, resources that David Jeremiah is, but I know Zechariah 14, the nations are attacking Jerusalem. The women are being raped. Right? Jesus had told them, flee right? when these things are taking place. But even in the midst of that, Israel has these texts that tell them that there's hope for the other side. And there's hope for the other side. Verse 34, the desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. You go to Israel today, and that's what they're trying to do without the Messiah King, recognizing that it is Jesus the Christ of Nazareth who died on the cross for their sins. Um, they're doing it as they irrigate and they rebuild, right? They're, they're anticipating the king. But we know as we read our scriptures that they're missing the, the Isaiah 53 Messiah. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock. It's an intriguing picture. Like a flock offered as a holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days, so shall the ruined cities be filled with the flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Right? They're in captivity. God is 
is, is judging them. He's going to judge them. I mean, even to this day, they're being judged. God is waiting for, for one obedient nation to turn to the Messiah King, right? To turn in repentance and, 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 and obedience. He's waiting for that. In the midst of all that judgment, there's still hope. We read that, and I'm just trying to establish that for these apostles, it wasn't just a couple verses here, and they were building their faith on it. Right? For the apostles at Pentecost, the church that was founded, it was this whole, I mean, even if you wanted to go back to Genesis, right? it was from Genesis right through to the end. Okay? That's what the church was founded on. When someone said that they believed in Jesus, it included these elements Right? When somebody was standing there about to be martyred for their faith, right? their belief, their faith in Jesus was not just John 3.16. When the government was against them, right? taking their possessions as they were fleeing right? in the dispersion, right? their faith was not just John 3.16. But they were like, you know what? We're going to pick up camp of what we believe in, and we're going to go do this somewhere else. Because right? we believe as bad as it gets, we have the end of the story. We know that. But you don't get that when we're just focusing in one direction. It's like we're looking in one direction and we're missing <laughs> the final destination. Does that make sense this morning? Like, like as, as, we're, as we're mining that? We have some time together. I'd like to just read chapter 37 and I'll show you and that will be the conclusion. 37 is that crazy picture about the valley of dry bones. But again, for Israel who's in slavery, Israel who's looking, I mean, Ezekiel 1, right? The, the throne room of God and the appearance of a man. The king, right? Coming kingdom. We just read through that. This, this pouring out of the Spirit, these this new covenant, this messianic kingdom aspects. I mean, that'll lead a nation through very, very hard times. But then we get into this resurrection, right? Because, I mean, the afterlife, resurrection, and, and God gives them this clear picture. But I, we have to read through 37 to get to the last verse. And the last verse is, is where I want to get to. So, the hand of the Lord came upon me, Ezekiel, and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, right, the Spirit come upon and then departed. That's how God worked, right? It wasn't a permanent indwelling, which makes Pentecost such a different aspect. The pouring out of the Spirit, when someone placed their faith in Christ after Acts chapter 2, they were regenerated, right? Indwelt permanently, adopted and sealed. That eternal security wasn't the case in the Old Testament. So that's a big transition there. So then the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones, then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. Not just dry, <laughs> they were very dry. I mean, these bodies weren't just dead, they were very dead. They've been dead for a long time. Probably representing Israel for many, many years, right, of dead people. And he said to me, Son of man, 
Okay, and this is speaking to Ezekiel in context. So don't confuse that with Daniel, son of man. Okay, son of man, it's a, it's a, a term that God uses as he's speaking to Ezekiel. Son of man, can these bones live? <laughs> Imagine. So I answered, O Lord, God, you know. Seems to be a safe, safe answer. I asked, I asked my MBBI teens, my, sorry, MBBI students who were with the teens, what prophecy is. I've got six of them in my youth program. I couldn't get an answer out of them. <laughs> I was like, Wait, what is prophecy? I was trying to lay this out, and, then, and they were choosing the safe road. I was thinking about that with Ezekiel. Oh, Lord God, you know. You, you know how, you, you know the answer to this. I'm like, no, that's why I'm asking the question. Come on, you know, like, 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 like engage with me. So Ezekiel's choosing the, the safe road, and I can relate with him a little bit. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Commanded authority. Right? We spent a couple weeks. Theocracy. Who's the ultimate authority? God the Father. Christ is at his right hand. I mean, we have Father, Son ruling. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. Right? The dead will live again. There's a resurrection principle here. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Yeesh. And indeed, as I looked, the, how am I supposed to say that, Krista? Sinews. Sinews is not? Okay, well, that's Gray County. Okay. Sinews. There needs to be another vowel in there. Sinews, and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Verse 9. Also he said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and said to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. The Jew had an understanding of the resurrection, right? God is going to raise the dead, Old Testament saints. All right, well, and Old Testament unbelievers as well eventually. Um, so I prophesied, and he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, stood upon their feet, and it, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. This is where we draw the context from, right? It's Israel, okay? When we read it, that's why we have to read it. Then they indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost. And we ourselves are cut off. Well, God never left them without hope. The only reason they'd be without hope is if they stepped away from the Scriptures. Right? All the judgment, the slavery, the chastisement, there was still always hope. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. So as dark and bleak and as people are dying outside of the land, the promised land, 
God is promising to bring Israel, even though many of them have died, he's promising to bring the Jew where? Into the kingdom, right? Christ in John chapter 11, what does he say? I am the resurrection and the life. Who do you think he was pointing to? Or what passage do you think he was pointing to? Ezekiel 37, right? That, that, that the Jew was like, okay, okay that's, that's how God's going to do it. And Jesus is like, yes, I am going to do that. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. Oh, my people brought you up from your graves. Oh, here we go again. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land then you shall know that I the Lord have spoken and have performed it says the Lord so back and I'll just say 586 they're always looking ahead to this promised hope this kingdom where Christ will be on his on his throne I have to kick her up into gear here aren't I verse 15 my title here one kingdom one king okay and I'm sure you have something different again the word of the Lord came to me saying as for you son of man take a stick for yourself and write on it for Judah one stick and for the children of Israel his companions okay you remember there King Solomon after he passes away there's a civil war and northern Israel and southern Judah and Benjamin they separate Okay? Never to be one nation again. They were broken. All right? 722, king of Assyria. And the reason why I'm saying these things is because our Sunday night crowd, you know these dates, right? 722, Assyria comes in and takes northern Israel away. 586, King Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes Judah away. So, I mean, you can't get sticks any further apart. I mean, it's separated. But God gives a prophecy here. No, no, I'm going to bring my nation together, all 12 tribes, as one under the Messiah King in the Messianic Kingdom. Then take another stick, write on it, for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them to another for yourself into one stick, and they will become one in your hand. Who's going to do that? King Jesus is. Right? He's going to unite those. And when the children of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not show us what they mean by these things? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel northern, his companions, and I will join them with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in... Whose hand? My hand. I mean, again, they're in slavery. God's like, oh no, I'm going to bring this together. My son, my king is going to bring this together. And the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. This is where my Bible gets highlighted a lot. <laughs> okay, this is where it gets significant. No, wait, it's all significant. This is where it gets intricate with understanding the New Testament. Then say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel. Does it say the church? No, it says Israel. Context is talking about the nation of Israel. Important because we have a whole reformation that one of their main goals was to replace Israel with the church. Right? And it's not. You have to, you have to, 
allegorically, right, read scriptures and begin creating your own thing. Okay, and that's where your Calvinism, a lot of it grows out of, okay? All right, but it says, Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone and will, if you're marking your Bibles, here's that drawing principle again. I will gather, right? Who's doing the gathering? God is. God's gathering, God's drawing them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. Okay, neat aspect here. Because you're going to get a glimpse not only of the Messiah king, the anointed chosen king, sitting on his throne after he died on the cross, after he ascended and Pentecost began the church, right? You're going to get a glimpse of not just the Messiah king, but you're going to get a glimpse of King David ruling at Christ's side in the Messianic kingdom. They shall not devile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. We're almost there. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all should have, they shall all have one shepherd. All right, we see that picture. God and his sovereignty, kingdom of God. We see Christ, the Christocracy is going to be on his earthly throne. And we see David. And you think of how many promises were given to David. David's going to be ruling with Christ. Can I add one more to that picture? Pending the results of the judgment seat of Christ, the saints of the church, the faithful ones, the obedient ones, it says that they will rule and reign with Christ as well. They'll rule and reign. I think it was Dana... I remember sharing that there the one Sunday, and Dana come up to me afterwards and said, well, who will be ruling the nations in the Messianic kingdom? And the Bible teaches that, that it is the saints, the New Testament saints that, that pass through, they live obediently, and Christ gives them a ruling, reigning position. So in the Messianic kingdom, you've got God the Father, theocracy, you've got Christocracy on his earthly throne, you've got King David, and then you've got him leading and ruling, all right, through the saints in that kingdom, says there, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. There will be obedience. This won't be optional. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there. They, their children, and their children's children. How long? Forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. Makes me want to read back through when Jesus talked of peace. My peace I leave with you. Right? Makes me want to think through that. Right? This covenant of peace with, with not just Jesus, but King Jesus making this covenant of peace with them. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. 
I'm almost getting too excited to finish this. Verse 27, it needs to be highlighted if it's not. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Right? God the Father speaking. Theocracy, Christocracy, you got David. Um, we understand the, the other aspects of this. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. We can do this. Ezekiel in slavery, 586. Darkest times of his life. Right? One of the darkest times in Israel's history. And he sees this glimmer of hope, this ruling hope. He sees this, and his faith is in the coming Messiah King who's going to lead him through this. He sees the tabernacle of God with man. What does that do with my faith? I mean, it grounds it. I mean, I, I'm not going to get pulled over. I mean, there, there's one direction. My, my life, politics, the world, wars, everything. I mean, it's going to pull away, but we have our sights set on what? Right? Rapture. And I know that kingdom's coming. I know I'm going to be there. And I don't find myself pulled or, or swayed by the wicked one, right? So for a Jew who is recognizing Christ as the Messiah who died for them, right? They had this one linear thought. Their gospel foundation was set and secure. Last connection. Verse 27 says, My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be their people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Ezekiel had this revelation. But we look at it from the book of Revelation, don't we? Can't we? All right, we have the end of the story. So turn with me to Revelation 21, just very quickly. Three verses, and we'll pray. Book of Revelation, chapter 21. The Jew who was believing that Jesus is the Messiah, that he would sit on his throne, that there was an earthly kingdom, messianic kingdom, knew that God's tabernacle would be in the midst of, of Israel, in the midst of humanity, that God himself would walk just as he walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I'm getting wound up, so I've got to stop. Verse 1, Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3 is where we're looking here. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Isn't that what Ezekiel saw? Back in 586. These Jews who walked with Jesus had their scriptures. When this connected for them, this connected for them. What would that do for a church? What would that do for generations? Sitting down and saying, you know, I, I, I just don't know anymore. To say something like that in the midst of turmoil, I recognize humanity, 
But to say I don't believe anymore or I'm having, like, I just don't know anymore about my faith, you would have to throw out all of this to do so. Gospel foundations. It's so key, and we have to go through this lugging. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that we would go home and we'd read back through these passages of Scripture. These, these are what your church was built on. Lord, <laughs> Acts does not have one pastor models. Lord, Acts does not have one church teacher models. Lord, Acts has people studying the Scriptures to see if what was being presented was true, and that, that was taught to the families. The people did the teaching. The fathers did the teaching. Lord, that the children learned and they went out and they became a pulse into their communities and workplaces. But Lord, it was the Spirit of God, your Spirit through the Word of God. And I pray that you would just bring us as a church to the main things. And Lord, it's never too late for revival. But it starts with our own heart first. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.